0: This is Opposing a Matrix. This is Dave um, doing a solo show tonight. and uh, The solo show I'm doing tonight is going to be about the reason why I'm up late tonight and why I've been up late many nights. And uh, and also uh, something that has prevented me from making gainful employment. Actually, I'm still I'm so far getting paid, but... Uh, <clears throat> You know this is this is going on for a long time, and I'm going to explain everything that's going on. So don't you worry. But um, it is the 11th, like I said, of November uh, 2020, and it's 10:43 p.m. Um, normally I would be in bed right now because I'm supposed to work tomorrow, but because I've had fever and some coughing and some a lot of shortness of breath. Uh, I'm going to call in and try to get screened out at work today. Um, I know that if I went in there, they would screen me out anyway. So it's much easier to call instead of driving the hour when you're not feeling good and you're febrile. And, um, which is you have a fever for those who don't know what that means. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you're just not with it at, uh, driving at four o'clock in the morning. Um, is not a is a foolhardy idea basically. So anyway, and we'll get into that part of my story. And I'm going to tell you my story, and I'm going to tell you about some stuff that's going on. Okay. So um, anyway, um, my wife and I had uh, taken a slight, very short trip to Florida to see my my uh, elderly mother back in January. Uh, you know, when when they're getting up in their um, close to their mid-80s, you know, you want to make sure you spend at least some much time as you can with them. Because um, you don't know how long your parents are going to be around when they get at that, that old, you know. And uh, I love my mother. I love her dearly. And uh, it had been way too long since I'd seen her. It had been almost seven years. Um, she doesn't like the travel. She's capable of it, but she doesn't like it. She's got a fear of traveling. She's had a couple of TIAs and um, she's afraid that that's going to happen while she's on a trip. And to tell you the truth, I don't blame her. Um, having health problems myself, it makes you think twice about getting on a plane and schlepping across the country. However, we did because we were younger and we you know, um, uh, we both have our own little health problems, my wife and I, but, uh, nothing like that. Um, so anyway, we went and we came back and, uh, I don't know, it was probably mid month right around there. And uh, on our way back, you know, we hadn't—we'd heard a little bit about COVID-19, and you know that it was—it was becoming a problem over in China, and that you know it was working its way towards Europe and stuff. And um, at that time, you know, very sketchy reports, and uh, and we heard that Trump was uh, considering shutting down the nation and stuff. So all this nonsense about him not doing anything for the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic. Um, It's a bunch of poppycock. Uh, He he was working on it nice and early, and um, frankly, I think he saved a few million lives. Um, So anyway, uh, we left uh, Orlando, and we had to make a connection through O'Hare in Chicago. I do not like O'Hare Airport. I never have. I don't know why it is. It's that in Denver. Those two airports, if I never have to go there, uh, I'm happy about it. I'm not too crazy about Newark either because you usually have to circle for a half hour before you come into Newark. Um, but anyway, um, so we landed and we had to slip on over to another gate or another uh, concourse because uh, I think we came in at A and we were leaving from C. So we got over there in plenty of time. Uh, I always do that when I, when I have to change planes, you know, the priority is getting over to the other gate and then you can do whatever you have to do, whether that's eat or use the bathroom, or whatever, when you get there. Well anyway, so we, we made, made it in plenty of time and we noticed that there was a flight, uh, our, our gate had a, a flight that was getting ready to leave for somewhere else, uh, before our plane got there. And we noticed that there was a lady laying there on a stretcher. Uh, there was, uh, like two or three Chicago policemen there and there was some, uh, paramedics or EMTs, I don't whatever you call those guys these days, but, um, and they had her on oxygen and she was just laying there. Um, she looked like maybe she was uh, African American in descent, but, uh, uh, very light, like maybe from Puerto Rico or something like that. Uh, you know, that's neither here or there. I'm just trying to describe what I saw. And like I said, they had her on oxygen and they finally they uh they wheeled her out of there. And uh so we got on the plane and uh, there's one place where we were able to get some news while we were on the plane. And we heard that the first case of COVID had actually been at O'Hare Airport that day. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I told my wife, I said, I wonder if that's the lady that was laying on the stretcher. Well, you know, we didn't think anything, you know, somebody's laying on a stretcher. They could have had a heart attack. They could have fallen down and broken her leg. You know, it's, it's a bunch of different reasons to be on a stretcher. Um, and, uh, so we, we kind of stood around, but we didn't know, you know, if she had made any contact with any areas. And frankly, we didn't worry about it at the time because we weren't that versed in, in, uh, the fact that we were going to have to take universal precautions with this epidemic that was soon to be a pandemic. Um, or pandemic, I mean that's a better way to put it. Um, so anyway we got on our, our flight and uh whisked our way back to uh um uh, Eugene, Oregon. And um uh, I always fly out of Eugene if I if I can. I don't like Portland. I never have liked Portland. I've got this adverse uh, reaction to Portland that, uh I don't know what brings it on, maybe it's all the craziness up there, but this is even before all the crazy, well, I guess it's always been crazy up there, but before all the riots and everything started, well, anyway, um, so we got home, and uh so we started watching the news, and they were talking about how, you know, the first case had been in O'Hare, and then there was another case in Denver, and and how Seattle had there's a few cases in Seattle and, and it really started to pick up and um so one day uh my wife and I we were sitting around we weren't feeling very good and um we st- we started to cough a lot, we had fever and um, lots of congestion and I mean it was I've I've had pneumonias before, but this this was something else. Um I remember one time I coughed and and I felt a rumble down in my lower right lung and it felt like the lung separated from whatever lining was holding it in place. Um, And I know that's not what happened, but that's what it felt like. And uh, it took us about a week or two and we got over that, never thinking that maybe we had picked up COVID. Okay. Um, And I didn't go to work. I stayed home for that time. Um, so I, you know, after a while I felt better and I went back to work. I didn't feel a hundred percent, but I went back to work. I didn't have a fever anymore. And that's the big indicator. Um, and the cough had really started to settle down and then the shortness of breath really, it, it was there. It was still there. And that's what kind of concerned me. Um, but anyway, uh, so I got back to work and lo and behold, probably about two weeks later, I fell at work and broke a rib or fractured one. And they put me on light duty, so I was away from the, the patient population, which at the time might have been a good thing. Um, so we were still required to wear masks. That, that's that been, for the most part, in our hospital since January or February. And uh, so uh, they had me on light duty, and I was doing data input. And, boy, I'll tell you, you can't wait to get back to work when you're doing data input. Um Actually, I think I did them a real favor because uh, the data that I was putting in was family request to visit patients. And I work in a psych hospital, so that's quite involved. And uh, so I was uh, entering data um, that had been accumulating for, uh, I think, since 2017. And I got them caught up. I really did. I just worked my rear end off and... And got everything caught up, and then uh, my last few days there, I was involved in um, doing fresh people uh, requests. Uh, but we weren't taking that many. Actually, we weren't taking any uh, because uh, the COVID. They they had uh, closed down the visitation, and uh, so anybody that got okayed would be for a later date. Little did we know that it would it would go almost into a year because in a couple of months uh, it'll be a year, right? Uh, since COVID started in, in the United States. Anyway, um, so I, I did that, for, uh let's see, sometime in February, about the third week in February all the way through May or middle of May. And uh so finally the doctor, uh, the workman's comp doctor released me and I went back to my unit, but I was still on my duty. So all I could do basically was pass meds and input stuff into the computer, which I didn't mind at all, actually. It was... It was kind of an easy job, but anyway. um, So uh, I started to notice after a while that every once in a while I would get a little bit of a fever. Um, You know, you got to understand when when you're you're talking fever. I've had fevers up in the hundred and fives. Okay, so when I have a fever of 101, that's really nothing to me. Okay. So a lot of times I won't even recognize it. I mean, you know, usually fevers with me are preceded by chills. Um that's if I'm getting a flu or or something like that. And sometimes I would get that, but uh uh so they started a process at work and I think it was in March, uh, the end of February, the beginning of March where you would go into work, and um, you would approach a station that had a, a barrier in front of it, uh, a clear barrier. Put your badge up there. They would scan your badge, and then they would ask you, have you had a fever, have you had a cough or shortness of breath in the last 72 hours? Well, I believe in honesty. Okay, so if I had a fever or cough, I would say Yes or shortness of breath, which I was having constantly. But you got to remember, I have asthma, too, so um, I have to take that into account, that maybe it's an asthmatic thing. Uh, but usually I don't have asthma in the wintertime. It's usually in the summer. But anyway, um, so I was answering yes a lot, and then they would send you home for 72 hours into, or until the fever went away. Well, the fever would uh, would come and go while I was out, of work and um, so let, let's just say that it was a Friday. I presented to work with a fever. Well, 72 hours is Friday through Sunday, right? So I'd go pretty good. I uh, Sunday the fever would start to abate. Um, Monday it would. I wouldn't have a fever. Tuesday or Wednesday, so I'd go back into work and I'd be okay. And then. Lo and behold, around Sunday, all of a sudden, I started to get a fever again. Well, there there were very few weekends when I worked the full weekend. I usually work on the weekends and, um, and long shifts, mind you. And uh, so let me get a, a, a sip of coffee here so I can persist in my effort. Um, one of the things that this condition does is it makes you... Uh, fatigued so coffee helps a lot but anyway so um it was getting to the point where you know I was going in all the time I would drive an hour to get to work go in there and get screened out and then I read that you could call in and just say hey I've got a fever well you know you can only do that for so many times and then they start they get start getting suspicious you know and rightfully so I would be too you know but I, I know that I was having a fever. I know I was having a cough and shortness of breath. And um, I wasn't manufacturing this. And I wasn't doing it to get out of work because, believe it or not, I'm one of those people that likes to work. I feel fulfilled when I work. I feel like I've accomplished something at the end of the day. Um, I know there, there are some people that like to sit around all day and they're comfortable with that, but I'm not. Even when I'm sick, I don't like sitting around. I I'll always try to get up and do something whether it's to get in here on this computer and do some research or whatever. You know, I just cannot sit around and watch TV all day. That drives me mishigana. So anyway, um, so, you know, I went in and got screened out a few times, and then I went in, or I called up and got screened out. Well, I got called into the boss's office one day, and, and the first thing I asked was, do I need union representation up here? Because I got a feeling that we're going to go into areas here that uh, are going to require that. And she, I was assured by her that uh, I wouldn't need that, that I wasn't being corrected, that they just needed to clear up some stuff on my hours. And, and that was true, and that's what happened. Um, and they were just kind of concerned that I was missing so much time. And, and I tried to explain to her, hey, you know, I, when I come into work and you guys – you know, I tell you, I report to you, I've had a fever and you send me home. It's not me that's staying home. It's you guys that are sending me home. So what am I supposed to do about that? Um, so anyway, um, so I started calling in, um, uh, to save myself to drive and, and really when, um, uh, when you're not feeling good, you should not drive. You know, if you have a fever and, and you're coughing a lot, and you have shortness of breath. You know, there, there's a there's a big concern there. You know, because it could be other things than than you know what I'm experiencing. But um, ah, excuse me. Every once in a while, I gotta stop and take a breath. So um, anyway, I uh I called up one day, and um and I was told by the uh, P. The nurse in charge, basically, they call them—they uh, used to call them PNSs. Uh, uh, now, now they have a different uh, designation, but uh, and they were usually the ones that screen you out. So anyway, um, I was told by the PNS that uh, this was coming from a higher source, and that I would have to come in the next morning and make sure that and, and actually get screened out at work. So they could check me for a fever, and he told me not to take any Tylenol because the tylenol masks the fever well there's a big problem there because you can't tell somebody not to medicate for an illness it 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 totally goes against nursing ethic okay it goes against all kinds of ethics when it comes to medicine um, and if you have a fever, it's there for a reason, and you want it you don't want it you know you want to get rid of it or at least bring it down. Um, uh, so what I did is I, I complied, I was going to do it once, that's all I've done it. I complied and I went in and I did have a fever of 99.8 and I was told, well, you know, since it's not 103, which is our, our low threshold, you can go up to work and I said, okay, so I have a fever, I have shortness of breath and a cough, all things that you send people home for and you want me to go up to work? It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I told them I, and cause they asked me if I had a COVID test recently and I told them yes and I didn't have the results back. Well, that got me an automatic go home for 72 hours. Um, so I was, I was able to go home. So, um, anyway, uh, I don't know when, I, after I had that talk with my boss, I told her, you know, that, that telling me not to take Tylenol was totally unkosher. Um, telling me not to treat my fever was. And that uh I didn't appreciate the lack of trust that was being kind of levied against me. And because um, I'm a pretty trustworthy person. You, you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. And sometimes I'll do stuff that I think is not good for me to do, but I'll do it because I'm told to do it. I mean, I'm not an idiot. I wouldn't... uh go into a hail of bullets to uh you know to pick a quarter up off the ground or something like that but um you know if it was for somebody's safety yeah sure i'd do that but anyway um so um they started getting kind of weird with me at work well i guess when i had my little chat with my boss that must have gone up a couple of rungs up the ladder and uh the next time that I had presented with a fever, that day, the day before and that morning I was calling in, I was told, okay, well, we'll just screen you out. And um, so this last weekend, what happened was um, on Friday, um, I wasn't feeling good and it and And you know you start getting to the point where you know, hey, if I get screened out again, are they gonna start taking some kind of action against me? So I do have a FEMLA case, you know and uh, and I called in femla um but then I called the doctor that day on Friday. I think it no it might have been yeah, it was Friday, and uh and left him a note um actually, I wrote him an email, left him a note and um uh, and I just know uh, the fever's still here, you know, the coughing, the shortness of breath and and uh so anyway, uh, after having numerous appointments with my doctor, who's a really cool guy, and who's the one that told me about what we're going to talk about tonight, which is long haulers, um, <clears throat> believe me, I didn't know about long haulers. I thought this was all in my head, I thought that you know I was manufacturing symptoms. And everything else But how do you give yourself a fever I don't know how you would do that But anyway um, So uh, I, ca- I called up on uh, I was off Thursday with Femla, And I called up on Friday And I said listen I'm at home And I don't feel good And I'm, I'm not going to drive in there To have you guys take my temperature My temperature has been this It's this right now and that's that's the deal, you know, because we have a guy that works there and he's he's from another country. I'm not going to say where, but uh, it's very uh, rigid in his his methodology. And uh, he was suggesting that I come in and I said, no, we've been through this before. I'm I'm not coming in. I'm not going to drive on country roads that have deer on them uh, all over them, actually. Um Because I'm constantly avoiding deer. I have to drive sometimes 35 and 40 miles an hour through this one stretch because there's always a deer in the road. Anyway, I said, it's not safe for me to drive, and I'm not going to do it. He says, okay, so I'll put you out for the day. Well, what happened was, and I didn't know this, is that they were going to float me to another unit because there have been a lot of licenses that have been calling in. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, could be for sickness. And usually if it's around a payday weekend, they just call in because they, they, a lot of them call in because they've gotten paid and they just want to go out and spend the money and stuff like that. And that happens quite a bit. And it's something, hold on, something that should be addressed, uh, but it's not. Um, so, uh, anyway, um. So he wanted me to come in, and I told him I wasn't going to do that. And he marked me off as a late sick leave. Because um, I, here's my reasoning. If I was going to walk in there, at, I start at 6.30 usually, and if I was going to walk in there at quarter after 6, and they were going to take my temperature and send me home, what's the difference between that and me calling in at 6 or quarter after 6 at to get screened out and sent home. To me, that's not being late. Um, but anyway, they marked me late sick, and they marked me as uh, not accepting a float. I was supposedly, now I understand, that they were going to float me to another unit because they were short on nurses that day. And, um, But, you know, how can you be guilty of something you didn't even know you were doing? Um, or or that was required of you, I didn't know I was getting full of do anyway that's something that's going to get straightened out here in the next week, so we'll see what happens with that but um anyway um so let's now that you've got kind of a a synopsis of what's been going on with me with my health and it's some of you who have listened to some of my radio shows, you've noticed that there are times during radio shows where I have to stop and take a breath to draw a breath. And and uh, sometimes it's not easy. It, long sentences make me out of breath. Uh, and it's weird because I'll it's like I run out of breath, but I'm still able to push the words out. And I don't know how that works. But uh, especially when you're, you feel like there's nothing in your lungs. But... Uh, Anyway, you've, you've noticed that. You've noticed that uh, sometimes my, I'm not quite up to snuff. So if you've been wondering what's been going on, that's basically what's been happening. Um, <clears throat> now, one day when after I called my doctor and I talked to him for an extensive period of time, because with the shortness of breath, I was starting to wonder if it was my heart. I do have an arrhythmia, and, and that's one of the things that I have FEMLA for. Um, And, and sometimes it acts up. But uh, back in January, I also had uh, a bout of AFib that went on, oh, I guess, probably for a couple of days. And um, ever since then, it's when the shortness of breath but it was very close to the time that I came down with COVID. So maybe the COVID is what caused the shortness of breath or the arrhythmia. And, and I do believe that in June or July or early June, I think, that I might've had my second uh, bout of COVID. um, They talk about it coming back sometimes. And, and I think that's what happened. But um, anyway, um, so let's see, we're going to talk about what's going on. Yeah, you, you've noticed that I've been shorter breath every once in a while. And, um, some days, uh, when I when, like tonight, you know, I'm, I'm really pushing myself to do this, but I think it's, it's something that some of you are probably going through and, and maybe you're getting harassed by your work employer or maybe, um, Maybe, uh, you're just thinking that, hey, you know, uh, I'm going crazy because I had this thing and it's supposed to be gone and it's still here. Well, so anyway, I was talking to the doctor one day and he says, well, there's a, a phenomena that's happening with a lot of people that have had COVID and they call it long haulers, kind of like the long haul truckers, you know, that, that just don't go local, but they go across the country. They're called. They're called long haulers. And um, he said, and and some people that have had COVID are experiencing this, and I'm finding out that it's more people than not. Um, But anyway, um, so I said, really, tell me about this. And he says, well, you know, you'll, you'll still have some of the symptoms that you get when you have COVID, but they won't be as severe and you're not contagious as far as we know. And I said, "Well, that's good to know because you know I don't want to spread anything to anybody. I don't, I, I don't want to spread anything to our patient populations, and certainly not to my coworkers, or my grandchildren, or my children, or, or uh, my wife, who miraculously has been doing very well through this. Um, although she's very lethargic, lethargic, and very tired all the time, so maybe that's her." manifestation, but uh, that's one of them. But um, anyway, um, I wanted to read to you about long haulers and what it's all about. And if you have had a, a serious illness and, you know, not not everyone that goes to the doctor and gets a test for COVID test positive. Uh, my doctor has informed me that um, the tests are basically, um, the nose swab is basically could have a 40% error rate. Let's put it that way. And if you have your, your uh, blood check for antibodies, that can be wrong too, up to 20% wrong. So uh, anyway, bear that in mind. Okay. I've been told that by a doctor. So, uh, you know, I, I trust doctors. I trust their science for the most part. Um, We do have some areas where we disagree. Like when it comes to the A1C test and flu vaccines, but uh, for the most part, they're they're pretty right on. And if they're seeing this and they're reading about it, and, and uh, I think pretty soon that it, it's actually going to become part of the recoverers of COVID uh, syndrome thing. But anyway, um, so you know, when he told me about the long haulers, I'm, I felt I felt a sense of um, Oh, I don't want to use the word joy, but, um, satisfaction maybe is a good word that, you know, that there, there's a name for this, that I'm not imagining it, that, um, it's, uh, it's something that other people are going through and it's quite common as far as I can understand and becoming more common as people are getting this, and getting over it. So, um. I do think that as time marches on, that the strain the strain of COVID will continue to get weaker and weaker until it's just going to be, well, right now it's not even as deadly as, as the flu or even the common cold for some people. But um, anyway, um, so uh, there are a lot more resources online just even this week than there was a month ago. Um, that have to deal with long haulers. And, um, two of them that I've picked is, um, I can't tell where this is from. I know the ones from UC Davis Med Center. I thought that this was from, um, from a medical source. Um. Medically reviewed by jo- Joseph Van Etz, MD, written by Jennifer Cheeshack on November 9th, 2020. So it has been reviewed by a doctor or else it wouldn't be here. Um, and especially his name wouldn't have been allowed to be used for, for um, verification purposes. Pardon me while I drink some more coffee. You know, I um, thank you for for let me take that break there. Um, I saw not too long ago online, somebody had posted a picture of a, a large hoop made out of barbed wire, and it said if 2020 was a hula hoop. This year has been very difficult for very many people. Um, well, look at it <laughs> from the top down. President Trump's having a difficult year. He's had a difficult four years, but... Um, you know, with COVID going around and people losing their jobs and stores being closed and not being able to uh go out to eat or, you know, having to wear that stupid, stupid mask. You know, I've gotten on here many times and said that if the M95 is probably the best mask, but if you have asthma like me, you can't breathe through it that well. And most of the other masks that people wear, um, you know, the common surgical masks that doctors wear, there's um, they only cover you down to 200 microns. And the COVID, if it is a virus, I have some doubt about that. But um, they're saying that the COVID virus, the COVID-19 virus, is 0.02 microns in size. So, yeah. Um, it means that there are large holes in the, the common mass that the COVID can go right through and get to you, not to mention that you're not wearing anything over your eyes so that um, both of your eyes, uh, the the soft parts around your eyes are mucous membranes, and uh, that's where viruses love to go in, through mucous membranes. So um, all you got to do is walk through a cloud that somebody's just coughed and... Um, if it gets anywhere around your eyes. Um, I think people that wear glasses typically just wear glasses or probably have a much more or a much larger safety factor and if you wear goggles it's probably even better, but wouldn't strange society we'd have if everybody wore goggles. Now I'm gonna be reading from this and don't get freaked out if I stop to take a breath, okay? Reading, I try to read fast, and when I do, it uh, it affects me uh, with the breath. And when I read slow, people think I'm a slow reader. So I can there's a little pride in there that makes me want to read faster. But this is called unpacking it. The long-term symptoms of COVID-19. Okay. It says aside from the rising death toll, one of the scarier things about the B word of a pandemic is that the disease caused by SARS-CoV-2 infection can have lasting effects on the body and that it can be true even for people who initially had mild symptoms or none at all. Folks who experience this are called long haulers. For them, the aftermath of COVID-19 infection becomes like a chronic illness. Boy, isn't that the truth. We need to stop thinking of COVID-19 as something like the flu, says Natalie Lambert, Ph.D., Associate Research Professor of Medicine at Indiana University School of Medicine. She says, we have to start talking about this as a very serious virus that can cause extensive damage to the body no matter what age you are or what your underlying health is. And I'll tell you right now, Having a little heart problem, being a cancer survivor, and having asthma puts me at three, three times risk. So anyway, so the article continues, that all sounds next level terrifying, but research is in the works and resources are cropping up to aid current long haulers out there. What are the long-term COVID-19 symptoms and where should you turn for help? If you're a long hauler. Let's unpack it. The most common long hauler symptoms. If you develop COVID-19, keep in mind that you may need to be, you may need about two weeks to begin feeling like yourself again. So how do you know if you're a long hauler? People who are still sick beyond a two-week period that you would expect for the flu, Lampert says, that's often the beginning of someone's more long haul type situation. Any symptom you might have as a result of SARS-CoV-2 infection might hang around for a while, kind of like a creep at the bar who you can't take, who can't take a hint. <laughs> I like it when people just put enough. Um, uh, what do you call it? Common man stuff in there to, to make it funny, but also make it medical at the same time. I love it. Um, we've all met the creep at the bar. You that can't take the hint, right? Whether it be a man or a woman or just some guy that needs a friend and, uh, needs one so badly that he won't leave you alone. Um, if you need a refresher, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention lists 11 common symptoms of COVID-19, but you may also develop completely different symptoms as a result of lasting inflammation. Based on a crowdsourced data, we compiled the top 15 long, hauler, long haulers report. Here they are, the top 15 reported long hauler symptoms. Anxiety. Boy, is that a big one. Body aches and muscle pains or joint pain to some degree. And I'll say that to what I'm experiencing. Brain fog, different difficulty concentrating or memory challenges. Well, I've always had a little bit of that. Um, chest tightness, pressure and pain. Yes, sometimes. Chills and sweats, not for the most part. Uh, cough, definitely. Uh dizziness. Well that's hard to differentiate. Because when you get my age, sometimes when you get up too fast you get dizzy anyway. Diarrhea, well that's I can't count that because being a colon cancer survivor and having um uh IBSD for most of my life, that's been my life, so um elevated temperature that is the definite. Uh fatigue, yes. You know what's the weirdest thing? I could I could wake up in the morning. I usually wake up when, like on a night like tonight when I can't sleep. I'll wake up at around 5.30 or now 4.30 with the time change because the dogs don't realize that the time changes and they want to be let out. And I'll either go back into the living room and fall back asleep until about 11 o'clock or I will go back up to bed and fall asleep till about seven or eight or nine o'clock. And, and, uh, when you have four dogs, they're, they're quite a responsibility. So you have to constantly be letting them out and stuff. And, and, uh, it's kind of like having children, I guess, but, uh, children that can't talk back to you (laughs) or sass you. Um, Okay, so fatigue is a big one. Uh, Headache, yes, from time to time. It's headaches creep up and they're they're not fun. Heart palpitations and tachycardia. We'll have that already. Um, Inability to exercise. Well, yeah. Um, Insomnia. Well, it's 11:20 and I'm still doing a radio show. Shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Definitely, definitely. When I'm at work, I can't take the stairs. I always have to take the elevator. Um, climbing the stairs to get it into the front door at work is a lot of fun. I can a lot of times press through, but then have to stop at the top to gas for air. Um, and that's real interesting. Um and, of course, I always get set with the patients that like to walk fast, and I have to ask them, please slow down. <laughs> I can't walk that fast. Thank you. Um Okay, and then it continues uh, with a quote. The way that people experience COVID-19 can be very different person by person, Lambert says. Uh, quote, some people in the first two weeks that they're sick, they think that it feels like a typical cold, and then two or three weeks later, they might start having heart problems. Other people will get blurry vision and they start losing their hair. Well, I don't know. The blurry vision is typical, but the hair, I don't know. Anyway, as if there weren't, as if they weren't busy enough dealing with the new spate of health issues, long haulers out there have gotten together to help everyone else. We based our top 15 list on their hard work above, but there are so many more plausible symptoms. For full checklists, check out the resources below, especially if you feel anything wonky going on. <laughs> it's another word. I think this has got to be from Great Britain, um, although I haven't noticed any weird uh, spellings. Okay, Uh, so there's a bullet point. Lambert created a report by analyzing social media survey data from Survivor Corp., a uh, grassroots movement that connects COVID-19 survivors. The survey includes response from more than 1,500 people with long-term COVID-19, and Lambert reports compiled 98 potential symptoms based on their answers. Wow. I don't like reading things like that because then you start thinking. (laughs) My sister used to have a a diagnosis book, and when you'd read it, you know, I just had to dismiss everything because you'd start thinking, yeah, well, I've had this pain and I've had that pain. So anyway, um, you just, you know, if you walk on a nail, you walk it off until it doesn't hurt anymore. That's my philosophy. Another bullet point, members from an online COVID support group, also conducted a survey of 640 people about their ongoing coronavirus ailments. The citizens' researchers um, compiled their patient-led research for COVID-19 data to form a list of 62 potential long hauler symptoms. I'm going to real quick give you uh, the link to this just so that you can have it because it gives links here where you can <clears throat> Excuse me. Where you can go to and, uh, uh, look at some, some more of this stuff. And the, the name of the website is greatest.com forward slash health forward slash covid dash long dash haulers dash symptoms hashtag long dash terms dash symptoms. Okay. All right, number three, themes of long-haul COVID-19. Although COVID-19 long-haul symptoms can include any odd thing from scalp pain to aching jaw, researchers are seeing some key themes. Number one, fatigue and brain fog. A lack of focus covered with extreme exhaustion can make you feel like COVID's beast has chewed you up and spit you out. One of the most common post-COVID complications is what's called brain fog. Some COVID long-haulers report trouble concentrating and having difficulty with memory. And in a study out of Italy, more than half, that is 53.1% of 179 patients, reported lasting fatigue even after their acute coronavirus symptoms like fever subsided. The fatigue persists for months, Lambert says. Many people report if they get up and take a shower, they're pretty much done for the day. They can't get out of bed after that. Boy, howdy, I understand that. Um, researchers, including the esteemed Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy Infectious Diseases, have compared these neurological long-hauler symptoms to chronic fatigue syndrome slash myalgia and cephalomyelitis. Uh, Similar debilitating symptoms also cropping up in some patients following the SARS outbreak nearly two years ago. Okay. The new research out of UCLA suggests the brain fog could also partially be related to post-traumatic stress disorder. A serious health emergency could certainly bring that on. But at the same time, Lambert says, we know from scans of the brain that some people do get micro clots in their brain from COVID. And we know that the virus is especially, is specifically attacking the nervous system. Amen. Um Respiratory issues, number two. The COVID beast can really knock the wind out of you. Recent studies show that COVID-19 can cause long-term heart and lung damage, especially in severe cases, but the the damage can improve over time. A persistent cough as well as shortness of breath are two common concerns among uh, long haulers, but they also report an inability to be active or exercise. Yeah, tell me about it. When walking out to the car makes you tired, exercising is not an option. Um, that was one of the top five symptoms reported on to, on the Survivor Corps survey in the patient-led research for COVID-19 survey. 68% of the people reported being physically active before the onset of their symptoms. And 70% now be, report being mostly sedentary in their COVID aftermath. I gotta tell you something. I used to be pride myself, actually. I'm overweight and have been for many years. But usually if, before this thing, if I went for a walk, I could, I could breathe really good, even with the asthma. You know, I could, um, it didn't really affect me that much. The asthma did and didn't. And, um, you know, and I a lot of times I would, I would play, I like to play these certain games with myself to see if I could walk faster, like start out at a certain pace on Monday and then walk a little faster on Tuesday and a little faster on Wednesday and, and stuff like that. And, um, it's just little games that I play to keep my mind busy and, and to, you know, entertain myself. But, um... Anyway, I've noticed that I can't do that anymore. It's like I got a certain pace now, and that's what I walk. I don't try to increase it because that just doesn't work. Okay, it does not work anymore. Um, Anyway, um, okay, next paragraph. And while certainly a bout of any nasty illness can make climbing the stairs to your apartment a little harder, until you regain your strength. Lambert says that's not necessarily what's happening with long haulers. With the people who are having long-term COVID-19 impacts, she explains, it's not just like it takes a lot more time. People are feeling very ill for a long time. Number three, aches and pains. You may also feel like the COVID beast has played schoolyard bully with your body. The Survivor Corps uh, survey results show that more than a quarter, that's 26.5% of reported long hauler symptoms, are associated with pain. Let me tell you, my knees are a wreck. They've never been this bad. And I know I've put on a little weight, but usually my knees are, I go through two seasons a year where my knees are bad for two or three weeks and then I'm better. But these knees have been incredible for the past six months. Uh, Many people reported tingling or burning in their extremities, that they have pain in their joints or they have pain in their feet, Lambert says. Sometimes it's uh, actual nerve pain and other times it's type of an inflammation causing the pain. Organ damage can cause major discomfort as well. Lower back pain, for example, could indicate an impact to the kidneys, Lambert adds. Um, I'm happy to report that I've had all these tests uh, for kidneys and liver and everything, and all my, all my values came back normal except for one, which is really inconsequential. Okay, talking to your doctor is the next thing. Seek emergency medical attention. If you experience an emergency, any emergency warning signs, whether early on in your COVID-19 infection or as a long hauler, the CDC lists five emergency warning signs. Okay. Call 911. It says emergency warning signs. Call 911 ahead of your nearest emergency room. It it doesn't make any sense. Call 911. Or call ahead to your nearest emergency room if you experience the following. Trouble breathing, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion. See, they're, they're listing things. Uh, trouble breathing could be a heart attack. Uh, persistent pain or pressure in your chest could also be a heart attack. New confusion could be a stroke. Inability to wake or stay awake, that could also be a stroke. Bluish lips or face. And I might add, look at your fingernail beds too. If they look bluish, uh, that's another indication. Um, Although the lips is a very good sign. You have blue lips, you need to get to a doctor immediately. It's called cyanosis. Um, okay, it goes on, you should call your doctor at any time. However, if you're having severe symptoms or concern, Dr. Ken Perry, and it has initials FACEP, an emergency physician in Charleston, South Carolina, says to get to your primary care doctor involved early if you have long-term symptoms that are getting in the way of your daily activities. Uh, he, he's, he's quoted here: "There are always concerns that these symptoms are actual signs of damage to the heart or lungs or to other organ systems," he says. A primary care physician can determine if and when further specialists or testing is appropriate. I use an internist. I always have for years. Um, They're good doctors. They're great doctors. My doctor up at Kaiser up in Salem, excellent doctor. Um, I wouldn't see anybody else. And I get mad sometimes when they try to shove me off at some other doctor, but... As long as he gets the reports, that's all that matters. Um, Be aware that some long haulers report not being taken seriously about their concerns, i.e. work. Part of these issues is that some people may have had COVID-19, but don't have a test result to prove it. Especially if they contracted the virus in the earlier days of the pandemic when the tests were in short supply. I'm raising my hand. Hey, that's me. And they keep testing me and testing me and testing me. You know, it kind of reminds me of Adrian Monk, you know, being a mechanic and constantly wondering if there's oil in the crankcase and keep pulling up the dipstick to see if there's oil on the dipstick. Um, and there always will be because there's oil in there. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Okay, you might have to educate your doctor a little bit. Well, I had the opposite. Uh, Lambert suggests you might be the first person that they've seen with these long-term symptoms. She recommends downloading or printing info from the Survivor course website and taking it with you to your appointment uh we are all going through this together and learning as we go my doctor says that he says we know very little about covid so um there's only so much i can do right now you know that's what he says and i i understand that okay um as patients continue to seek assistance with new changing symptoms their doctors may not have much to add but we can both, uh, which can leave us both feeling helpless. Okay. And I think we're getting, oh, jeez, this thing is long. I didn't realize this article was this long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, folks. Okay. Um okay. Long hauler clinics. Um I'm just going to say that this website and I gave you the the um the link and I'll give it to you again when we uh and I finish but there are places like Mount Sinai Center for Post COVID Care they have a link to that listed here um several links Mount, like I said Mount Sinai Center for Post COVID Care New York City area Uh, University of Colorado Post-COVID ICU Clinic, Aurora, Colorado. GW Medical Facility Associates COVID-19 Recovery Clinic, Washington, D.C. UC Davis Health Post COVID Clinic, Sacramento, California. Mayo Clinic COVID Activity Rehabilitation Program, Rochester, Minnesota. UIHC Respiratory Illness Follow-Up Clinic, Iowa City, Iowa, and Penn Medicines Post-COVID Assessment and Recovery Clinic, three locations in Pennsylvania. Um, That's about voting. I don't want to read about that. That's the last thing I want to talk about tonight. Anyway, self-care and finding support. Unfortunately, there are no tried and true guidebook out there on self-care and recovery as a long-hauler. As research comes out, Perry says, we're trying to disseminate the information as quick as possible. As a long-hauler, you may have a new normal, at least for a while. The reality is that we are very early in this process, Perry says, and... What seems like permanent in this moment may resolve. If you are suffering a symptom now, it may clear up in the future. It is very likely that this is going to be a mix of good days and bad days. And you'll have to define what the new normal means for you because it will be different from person to person. Don't place pressure on yourself or let others place pressure on you to get back to your pre-COVID life. And I explained that that's what my employer was trying to do. And every once in a while, I have to put up with that. And we'll see in a half hour if I have to do it again. Um, Each patient recovery seems to be pretty variable, Jolly says. And I don't think we have enough understanding of why that's the case or why some people get better quicker. I think we need more research to understand that. Remember, you're not alone and you can connect with others who have survived the coronavirus and learn where they're at in their recovery process. You might also find it empowering to contribute to ongoing long haul research studies and surveys. Um, Let's see, and then there's... uh, to see, there's one place called Survivor Corps, and he, he mentioned that several times in this article. Or she did. Now, uh, this is a non-profit organization. Uh, grassroots movement has 110,000 members in its Facebook group. The next one is Body Politic COVID-19 Support Group. This Slack group has 14. 1,000 members and more than 50 channels including dedicated discussion for those who are 90 or more in days into their um, coronavirus saga and it says following the hashtags of hashtag long haulers and hashtag long covid on social channels um, and it's uh, another thing here, research and surveys, enroll in research and clinical trials, take the next patient led research survey. Um, let's see. That's all I'm going to read. I, um, I have seriously considered and I'm still considering, um, if I get any more flack from my, from my workplace, you know, cause flack to me isn't necessarily an explosion that happens in front of your face that takes you out. Flack is also questioning. It's also making you come up to prove that you're sick. Um, and all those things are flack to me. And, um, if need be, I'll, I'll retain an attorney. Um, because this is turn, you know, it could, it could turn into workplace harassment, and if that's going to happen, then I'm going to meet it head on with uh, with jurisprudence. So, anyway, that was the one article, and again, that was um, greatest.com forward slash health forward slash covid dash long dash haulers dash symptoms hashtag #self-care-and-support. Uh, okay. There's another one um, that actually comes from the UC Davis Health Center. I I um, <clears throat> have a hard time with with UC Davis Health um, down in Sacramento because my dad went in there for a simple surgery and lost his life. Um, due to the bumbling of some doctor down there or a group of doctors. And if you deal with UC Davis, be warned ahead of time that, um, especially if you get hospitalized there, that that's a training hospital. And so not only do you have doctors coming in to see you, even your regular doctor, but you have new doctors coming in there. You have interns coming in there, and they're all over you. The, um, I remember one time my dad died of meningitis and they tried something for viral meningitis, something for bacterial meningitis. And I said, have you guys ever thought of fungal meningitis? Maybe it's fungal in nature, you know, maybe he had a yeast infection up his nose or something. And, and, uh, when you guys put that hole in his skull, it went up there, you know? So they started him on, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the drug right now, but um, it was an anti-fungal uh, drug. It was a very good one. It was kind of brand new at the time, out, out maybe three or four years at the time. And and I, I noticed an improvement. Now, they might have noticed other things, but, you know, it actually looked like he was starting to improve. And then one day I looked at his chart. Which is your right to do if you're a caretaker, if if a person's incapacitated and you're the caretaker, it's your right to look at the chart. Don't let them bully you into saying you can't. Um, And I noticed they took him off the uh, that drug, and it really pissed me off. And I said he was getting better, and then the doctors argued that no, he wasn't. It just it was you know it appeared he was, but he really wasn't. Oh, no, that's kind of stupid. That's like saying you. It appears like you have a flat tire, but you really don't. You know. Um, anyway, I have issues, and and after he died, they sent me a bill. Um, not much, but you know. And I just wrote on the bill, "You killed him." Isn't that enough? Never heard from that from them again. From their billing department. And then, um, then I got. They actually had the tenacity or tenacity, whatever that word is, to send me a how did we do card. And I wrote back on that card, I said, if I'm ever in an ambulance and I'm dying, I am going to instruct them to avoid your hospital at all costs and take me anywhere but there. And they're a trauma hospital too, so that probably went over like a lead balloon. Okay, now this is from their Their newsroom, UC Davis Health Center in Sacramento, California. And it's, the article is from October 22nd, 2020, so it's not that old. And it's COVID-19 long hauler patients search for answers and help. Okay, and it starts out, some patients have symptoms that last, last and last, even if they weren't very sick. It says if you survive COVID-19, you may have something else to fear and it has nothing to do with how sick you were. For some people, there seems to be a, there seems to be no consistent reason symptoms can last sometimes for months. The name many of these patients call themselves as long haulers, but it does not begin to describe the confusion anxiety, and distress that long-term COVID-19 patients endure. And think about this, because if this is such a new thing and your boss doesn't understand that this is going on, you know, most bosses have dealt with employees that fake illness and sickness. And if this is not really a, um, oh, it's not really a known uh, disease or disease, what am I trying to say? Um, maybe a little bit of brain fog here. Um, so, uh, syndrome. If it's not a known syndrome, then, um, you know, it's it's going to be hard to prove. But there's more and more people getting this. So it should be on the books as a syndrome someday. But anyway, um, so, you know, your boss may think that you're just trying to get out of work or whatever. So. um it's important that you find things like this on the internet and print them out. And if you're, especially if your doctor says something like you might have long haulers, get that in writing and take it to your boss and then take him a whole bunch of information about what long haulers is. And then you have some legal grounds if you're, if you're let go because he's been given the information and, and, um, and a diagnosis, although the diagnosis is, um, Cannot be confirmed. It's still there in the doctor's handwriting. Anyway, uh, let's see. Anxiety and distress that long-term COVID-19 endure. Okay, it's scary for them, says Nicholas Kenyon, a UC Davis health professor and leading pulmonary and critical care expert. They want to know why am I still out of breath? This <laughs> is like a doctor saw me. Why am I still out of breath? Why am I still tired and coughing after months? Am I ever going to get better? The answer for them is not clear and certainly not simple. That's because even defining the problem is not simple. There are no precise statistics on the number of long-haul patients, people who, in theory, have recovered from the worst impacts of the coronavirus testing negative, but still have symptoms that can last for weeks or months. The Journal of the American Medical Association in a recent article, as well as a study from the team of British scientists, estimates about 10% of COVID-19 patients become long haulers. That's in line with what the UC Davis Health is seeing, Kenyan said, but it's hard to qualify or, excuse me, quantify, because it's hard to define the length of time that lingering symptoms fit the long-haul COVID category. Even after a month, it gets frightening, Kenyon said. People ask, what's wrong with me? Golly, it's like they talk to me. Um, I'm going to give you this link here, first of all, is um, so that you know and you can resource it. Um, and print it out for your doctor or your whatever your doctor or your employer is health dot UC Davis that's U is in union C is in Carol Davis dot EDU forward slash health dash news forward slash newsroom forward slash COVID dash nineteen dash long dash holler, dash patience, dash search, dash for, dash answers, dash and, dash help, forward slash 2020, forward slash 10. Play it back over again if you didn't get it. I'm not going to try to read that again. i get out of breath. Um, okay. New section here: No limits to who long over who long haul COVID affects. Long-term COVID-19 appears to affect every kind of patient, from people who are hospitalized with severe COVID-19 to those with very mild mild bouts who recovered at home. It appears in regions with both high rates and low rates of COVID-19 infections. It attacks people who are battling other conditions before contracting COVID-19, and people who are completely healthy, and it hits both old and young. So once you just say everybody, um, we've seen this in patients across the gamut, and there does not appear to be any clear connections in the ca- in the cause. Kenyon said, "What's uh, What's new is that this." Is affecting some people who are quite young who are very healthy and never had any other illnesses okay we've seen this in patients let's see okay I read it already um, it's not uncommon Kenyon said for patients who are hospitalized for a long time whatever the reason to take months to get back to feeling normal but even those COVID-19 patients are inconsistent Most recover on a steady, if sometimes slow, upward line, but have the same symptoms that persist for months. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, We have experienced helping people who are hospitalized with other severe viral infections. But this disease is so new, there's so much more to learn, he said. We don't know why a few hospitalized patients continue to have symptoms while others don't. We aren't exactly clear what all the symptoms are. And it goes into common symptoms, and it has a few less than the other thing. Uh, the list of common symptoms is long, wide, and inconsistent. For some people, there's nothing like the original. They are nothing like the original Symptoms that they had when they first were infected with COVID-19, the most common include coughing, ongoing, sometimes debilitating fatigue, body ache, joint pain, shortness of breath, loss of taste and smell, even if this did not occur during the height of their illness, difficulty sleeping, headaches, and brain fog. And as we saw in the other article, there are a lot more. Um, The last one is among the most confounding, patients report being unusually forgetful, confused, or unable to concentrate, even enough to watch TV. That sort of brain fog can happen to people who were in an intensive care unit uh, for a length of time, but it is relatively rare, Kenyon said. But this is happening to all sorts of patients, including people who had mild cases and were not hospitalized. Symptoms for long haulers are not uniform. Some report severe chest pain along with more general body aches. Others have chills and sweats or gastrointestinal issues. Some people have reported feeling better for days or even weeks and then relapsing. That's me for others, it's a case of just not feeling like themselves. There are patients who can go for a run and test completely normal, Kenyon said, but they still don't feel right. They aren't back to their old selves, but they can fully define what's wrong. But we can't fully define what's wrong. Telling a patient who feels bad that they are fine and there's nothing we can identify is not a decent answer for them or for us trying to explain long-haul COVID-19. The problem for patients and experts trying to help is the same one that physicians and infectious disease experts face for COVID-19 in general. It's so new that science is only beginning to grasp it, as long-haulers have only recently gotten the attention of some experts who are first engaged with trying to slow down the pandemic or... Care for dangerously ill patients. The vast majority of long haulers test negative for COVID 19, and there is no specific test given for them to, uh, given, uh, test to give them for lasting symptoms of coronavirus, said Tim, uh, Nam Tran, an associate clinical professor of pathology and. Laboratory Medicine and Senior Director of Clinical Pathology in charge of COVID-19 testing at UC Davis Health. Unfortunately, we don't know enough about the virus to test for its lingering effects, Trant said. There are questions about why their fatigue goes on and on, and science just hasn't solved the problem yet. We're all learning in real time. God, I wonder if burning eyes is one of the symptoms. The eyes burn all the time. Um, I haven't seen that. Maybe others have, and they just haven't reported it. Um, let's see. The most common theories about long term COVID 19 patients include the hypotheses that the virus remains in their bodies for some small, in some small form or that their immune systems continue to overreact even though the infection has passed. The idea that the virus is somehow persisting has been discussed, Kenyon says. That doesn't mean that the virus is growing or that we can test for it. But this might mean that their bodies are reacting to it or it's still triggering ongoing inflammation. Some infectious disease experts, including Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institute of Health have speculated that long-term COVID-19 might be a form of what is called chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis slash chronic fatigue syndrome. Unfortunately for long haulers, ME slash CFS is not well understood either. What is being done to help COVID-19 authors. As with many of the other COVID-19 issues, it's just, it's hard knowing just how long some of the symptoms might last and when the disease was identified barely 10 months ago. Learning how to treat the patients also requires time. First, we have to discover what we can about the disease and how to treat it, Kenyon says. That takes time and experience then we all have to share the information with other physicians and, and the public. We don't have the system for sharing in place yet for long haulers. Early in the pandemic, pulmonary care chiefs around the U.S. gathered virtually on Sunday evenings to talk about caring for patients and share information to help each other progress. A Kenyan said, he'd like to see something like that resumed to discuss caring for long-term COVID-19 patients. It may not seem to be much of an emergency as in the days of the pandemic but this is just as important he said because of the pandemic we don't have some of our usual routes of communication like in-person meetings and conferences also because of the disease is so new much of the information about about long-term, uh, long-haul COVID-19 cases and care is anecdotal. That is changing. However, the UC Davis Health is working on bringing its expertise together to help patients. Uh, these people need our help, Kenyon says. We don't want anyone to have to go step by step through each symptom or to go through a list of referrals to find out what's happening to them. We are uniquely set uh, to care for these patients, and we will. Okay, that's it. So that concludes basically the research part of our program tonight. And what I would like to do is um, if you go to... Delusionresistance.org. That's all word. Delusionresistance.org. All well, one word. Um, and you look for my email address. It's it's under the contact section. And you're having problems with this, you know. And you don't have to be specific because technically I don't need to know about your um, your health history and stuff like that. But just if you wanted to write and let me know that you're having Some sort of problems with this, um, especially if you're having problems with bosses believing it or coworkers or or anything else, you know, we can maybe get together and um, and go to some of the resources where they have referred us to in these two articles and and uh, maybe we can um, help bosses and, and other people to understand what's going on because I think that's important. Um, right now we're over a rock in a hard place because if you're, if you work for an entity that covers you for COVID-19 under government programs or whatever, that's all fine and well, but you um, you know, when you start missing a lot of days, they're going to start demanding that you know you go on long-term, either short or long-term disability. And if there's no diagnosis, the short-term or long-term disability isn't going to cover you because they um, there's no diagnosis to back up you know you being off of work. So I think it's important for for doctors in the medical realm. To actually make a um, make a diagnosis, so that um, or come up with one, maybe call it COVID-19 uh, long long haul syndrome or something like that, so that if a person does you know get nixed by their employer and has to go on unemployment or or has to go on some kind of disability, that there is a condition that you know that is an actual condition that can be cited and given to the, um, the, uh, insurance body in question. So, uh, and also there's, um, if you're, if you're going through any kind of harassment or anything, uh, if you're a member of a union, get them involved. You know, I've, I've found in my lifetime that unions aren't very effective, but if yours is, then get them involved. and and also, um, there are attorneys out there that uh, that handle wrongful um termination suits and things like that and i think it would be um advantageous if you see it coming to that point that you call one of those attorneys and explain to him what's going on and maybe um through some legal means we can get this um, all nailed down so that it's an actual um It's actually something that can be written down on paper as a diagnosis. So lawyers have a way of um, making people get things done, so to speak. So anyway, um, I'm not going to stay on any longer. I'm really tired and um, I need to get to bed. But um, so I just wanted to put this out there, you know, to help you to understand why. Sometimes I'm drawing for breath when I'm talking. Other days when I do the radio show, I'm, I'm just fine. Tonight's been a little difficult, but um, hey, you know, you take the good with the bad, right? And uh, so anyway, uh yeah, drop me an email. Let me know what you think, and and we'll go from there. I think you can also contact me through Spreaker, um, who I'm doing this radio show through, so... Um, let's, um, let's try to get something going here so that we can make people understand what we're going through and, and, uh, kind of protect ourselves and have our backs covered when it comes to this. So, um, anyway, um, you know, the Lord bless you, Yahweh bless you and, and bring you peace and good health. And, um, and I, well, well. Get together again soon, I'm sure, okay? Okay, God bless. Good night.